It is so good to have every one of you here today. It is so good to have you guys here today. This is uh, week three of a series we've started on the Holy Spirit, so I want to catch us up, and if I can, put us on the same page by doing a summary on it. There's so much of mystery about God that uh, human beings have wrestled with from the beginning of time, and through, while through Scripture and through Jesus' life, God has, uh, has removed so much of the mystery, but he's left some of it there. Uh, scripture says that there is one God, but he's one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. So, it, it, so how do you sort that out? How do you figure that out? How can, you, how can we as uh, limited human beings with finite minds, how can we wrap our brain around what this infinite God is saying? I am one God, and yet I'm God the Father, I'm God the Son, God the Spirit. And so we're focusing on this third person of God, this, uh, this God the Spirit part. And fundamentally, this is so important. Uh, scripture teaches us that, that the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is not a force. It's, it's not, it's, he is not an energy. He's not this entity. But the Holy Spirit is a person. Scripture describes he has, he has a mind as a person would have a mind. He has emotions as a person would. He has a will as a person does. So he's, he's a person, not a force, or not an energy. And... and um, Within him is all the likeness of God the Father and God the Son. All of the attributes of God are part of God the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit has all of the power, like infinite power, has infinite wisdom, infinite knowledge, has all of the love of God the Father, God the Son, all of the grace, all the righteousness, all of that, all wrapped up in God the Holy Spirit. And then very, very profoundly, Jesus says, and Scripture says, that whenever someone... Uh, becomes a follower of Jesus. In other words, whenever someone asks Jesus to forgive their sins and lead their life, in other words, forgive me and and now you're in charge, then Scripture and Jesus says the Holy Spirit begins to, to live inside that person's life with such relational intimacy that the description is the Holy Spirit begins to live within you. The Holy Spirit begins to, like he moves into your house like you're inhabited by God, it, it's God's way of saying that the relational connect is, is, is so intimate. He lives within you in all of the power, all the wisdom, all the love, all the grace, all of those things within you. And then when it talks about, it says being baptized by the Spirit, which that's simply saying that when you give your life to Jesus, when the Spirit moves in, you're baptized. There's this imagery of that that says that the, the intimacy is so close that, that the Holy Spirit has this intimate relational contact with every fiber of one's being. Every bit of your emotional life, the Holy Spirit is pressed up against this closest relational intimacy. Every bit of your thought life, just this, every fiber of it, every, every fiber of your action world, there's this intimacy that is so deep and so rich. And, and so it's no surprise that Jesus would say, among other things, he would say, of all the people that lived in the Old Testament who never had the chance for the Spirit to take up residence in them, he says, your life is greater than every single person of Old Testament times. Abraham, the father of the faith, your life is greater than his. Moses, the one that, through whom God parted the sea and led the Israelites out, your life is greater, greater than his. King David, Elijah, Isaiah, and so on. He's saying this, the reality of, of the Holy Spirit taking up residence, moving into your house, is so profound that your life has a greatness that, that no other life before ever had the chance of even having. And so it's no surprise then that Jesus would say in Acts 1, verses 4 and 5, he would call this the gift. He would call this giving of the Holy Spirit, he would call it the gift. 
And so that's how far we've gotten so far. How long was my summary? Under three minutes? Okay, that was my goal, was under three minutes. That's how far we've gotten so far. You would think with, uh, with all of the power and beauty and wonder and love and grace of God, all the holiness of God living in that proximity, you would think that there would be a profound impact upon one's life, wouldn't you? But, but I have, this is what scripture says. Uh, how much impact the Spirit has upon us is, is directly dependent upon a phrase that's only four words long. The phrase is filled with the Spirit. How much impact that the Holy Spirit has upon your life or my life is, is completely dependent upon this phrase, filled with the Spirit. Uh, there are several places this phrase shows up. For example, in the life of Peter, in Acts 4, verse 8, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, so on, gives this talk to them. Um, the, the church in Jerusalem is said to have been filled in the Spirit in Acts 4.31. It says, after this prayer among those gathered, the meeting, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the Word of God with boldness. Stephen, in Acts 6.5, Stephen was an early follower of Jesus. It says he was filled with the Spirit. Barnabas, one of the first missionaries of Christianity, in Acts 11.24, he was filled with the Spirit. Paul, who wrote half the books of the New Testament, Acts 13.9, filled with the Holy Spirit. The entire church at Antioch in Acts 13.52, filled with the Holy Spirit. Again and again, it, it references individuals and sometimes even big groups as being filled with the Spirit, either filled in that moment or in some cases suggested that they're filled pretty much on an ongoing basis. So, so there's this key teaching about this deal of being filled in Ephesians 5.18 I want to read. And then I want us to understand what, it, what it's saying to us. It says, it says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It, it's, an odd, it's an odd pairing to make, isn't it? I would not have expected God to put this deal about being intoxicated, being drunk beside the Holy Spirit. But as I think about it, if someone is drunk with wine or any kind of alcohol, uh, they're under the influence of alcohol, right? We call it DUI, under the influence of, right? And, and I would suggest if the intoxication is strong enough, I would say they're even under the control of alcohol. And so God's just acknowledging what becomes pretty obvious to all of us after a while. That's not a good thing. And don't be under the control of alcohol. And then he goes on, but then he says, instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's saying, don't be under the control of alcohol. Instead, be under the control of the Holy Spirit. Be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit be the one who's controlling your, your thoughts and your emotions and your actions. Um, and, and so um, uh, to be filled with the Spirit is equal to be, being under the control of the Holy Spirit. Now, it may, it may seem odd that God would use this phrase, be filled with the Spirit, when what he means is to be under the control of. But we use the phrase to be filled with and meaning to be controlled by in many ways. In fact, even Scripture does. In, in Matthew 17, 23, it talks about being filled with grief. If you're filled with grief, then grief will influence and maybe even control your emotions and your thoughts and your words and your actions, right? You're filled with grief and you're under the control of it. Or Matthew 28, 8 says to be filled with joy. If you're filled with joy, won't that influence your emotions and your thoughts and your actions? Uh, scripture speaks other places about being filled with rage. I've only had a handful of times in my life I've been filled with rage. 
But in those times, I was in the utter control of the rage, being filled with rage. Scripture speaks of being filled with jealousy. If you're filled with jealousy, aren't you under the influence? Aren't you under the the control of that? It's deeply affecting your thoughts and your emotions and your actions. So to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. This is really important. Um, it It has nothing to do with getting more of the Holy Spirit in one's life. You either have none of the Holy Spirit or all of the Holy Spirit. If you have none of the Holy Spirit, it means you have yet to come to the point to say to Jesus, I, I'm going to trust you. Would you forgive my sins? Would you lead my life? You have yet to come to that point with that new life launching, and you have none of the Holy Spirit. Or you've come to that point, and you're filled with all of the Holy Spirit, all of the power and knowledge and grace and love and holiness, all of God is in you. To be filled means to be under the control of. In, in Ephesians 5.18, that's given as a command, which means then, it means that to be filled is a choice. It's given as a command, which means you can say yes and follow the command, or you would say no and not follow it, correct? And so it means that to be filled, to be under the control of the Spirit is a choice. In other words, while the Holy Spirit lives in every Christ follower in this room, and the Holy Spirit knows that, that He knows the best direction, and he knows the best light. He knows he can mend your wounds and brokenness. He knows all of that. He would never, or most likely, he will not force himself upon you in, all those, in any of those things. He's saying, I, I'm here, I'm present, I'm in full, and, and I'm ready to have as much impact upon your life as you want, but I'm going to wait for you to yield. I'm going to wait for you to, to give me that control. I'm going to wait for you to, to give me that control. So you either have none of the Holy Spirit or all of it, but, but to be filled is a choice. I give you an example. It's one a few of you heard, have heard me tell because this happened a good while back. It was, um, it was winter. I was down at Surfside Beach. Winter is, is a good time to be at the beach. It's pretty vacant. It's empty. It was a weekday, even more empty. It was one of those days at the beach that you can only have in, on a Texas coast, maybe Florida or maybe San Diego, where it was sunny and warm and spectacular spectacular day to be out at the beach. And so I'm in my second day. I'm, I'm walking up the coast to the beach, and it's pretty vacant. At some point, I, I just recognize that there's this truck up there, and I can see there's this hood that's raised. There's a guy that's climbed up, and he's looking into the hood, and someone's cranking the engine. It's not starting, and there are three or four people hanging around. And my first thought was, can I help? <laughs> and then I thought, well, with our cars, all I know how to do is raise the hood, and they've already figured that out because the hood's raised. And so nothing I can do. So I'm continuing to walk down the beach, and, and, and I feel the Holy Spirit speak. And this is going to sound strange to some of you, but some of you not so much. But I, I felt the Holy Spirit say, I want you to go over and pray out loud and ask me to start the truck for them. My first thought was, when I go up and pray and the truck doesn't start, this is going to be really embarrassing. <laughs> this, is going to be, this is going to be very, very embarrassing and then my second thought, because I started to go the- theological, my second thought was, when I go up and I pray and it doesn't start, this will not look good for God, okay? It will not put God in a good position. And, and so, so I'm thinking that out, and, and I'm continuing to feel the weight of, of God saying, go over and pray and ask me to start the truck, and I am resisting, and I'm, I'm telling God, look, I'm looking out for you. That's my, my excuse. I'm protecting you because I don't know what these people think of you, but after this, it won't be as much, whatever it is. And so, so this is on your behalf. I'm not doing it. And I was, I was locked in, 
And I kept walking. I walked past the truck, and I'd, I'd gone just a short distance past the truck. And all of a sudden, here the truck starts. And I turn around, and there are these people yelling, kind of celebrating the truck has started. And I'm standing there, and I'm realizing that, that it started in just about the time that it would have taken me to walk over to them, say, can I pray, and ask God to start the truck, and then the truck would have started. And, and I'm recognizing there's this passage in Ephesians 4.30 that says, do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. And, and I, I, it clicks for me, God had decided he's going to start the truck. It's not just coincidence or not just the moisture dried out or he was going to start their truck, but he was going to do one better. He was going to let them know that he was starting the truck. He was going to tell them maybe for the first time or maybe reaffirm, I'm active in this planet. I, I know your life. He was going to let them know that. And, and I blew that piece of it. That didn't happen, and I could sense the Holy Spirit. There's just a sadness of what could have been. And then on top of that, the Holy Spirit was going to use me like I was going to be a little piece of, of what God was doing. And the Holy Spirit knew how it would have blown my mind. And I missed that. And I sensed the, just the sadness of God about what was missed. And as I continued walking up the beach, I just said, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. Would you forgive me? It was such a little thing that he asked me. How much did I have to expend? And what was the risk like six strangers might think I'm an idiot. And I wasn't even willing to do it. I said, please forgive me. And then, as only God would do, there are these two parallel rainbows that formed. You hardly ever see that, but they formed almost in that moment, starting over the land and then going over into the gulf and ending in the gulf. And, and I didn't need him to show me that because I already know what he says, but, but they were just a visual of him saying, I still love you the same. I don't love you any less, and all of my grace is yours, all of my love is yours, and, and you know, I, nothing has changed. I mean, of course I forgive you. Of course I forgive you. And in that, I said, well, I, I, my answer now is yes. I don't even know what the next lead is, but I'll tell you the answer, God, it's yes. Anything you ask, the answer is Yes. So I walked quite a ways because the rainbow stayed there a long time. They faded. I turned around. I'm walking back and down the beach. And um, there are not many people there, but I noticed there are two middle-aged ladies lying on the beach. I got a little closer, and I, I felt the Spirit speak again. I felt God say, I want you to go to those two women and give them a message for me. And that's out of my comfort zone, but I had already said yes. And so I started to angle toward them, and I said, okay, God, what do you want me to tell them? And he said, go and tell them sin no more. I thought, <laughs> so I, I said, could I just go tell them how much you love them? Because I know you do, and I, they probably need to hear that. Could I go tell them how much you love them? And I didn't get any affirmation on that. And I said, well, can I go tell them you have a good plan for their life? Because they need to know that you'd have a good plan and nothing around that. And, and I felt God continue to say, just tell them, go and sin no more. And, but I was locked in now in a different way. I had said yes. So I go up to these two ladies and I said hello and they, they looked up and acknowledged me and I said, God, God sent me to give you a message. And to my surprise, they both really kind of leaned forward with excitement, anticipation to hear what I had to say. And the lady on the left said, what did God say to tell us? So I said, well, God said to tell you, go and sin no more. 
And she lowered her head and began to sob. For some extended time, just sobbing, saying, I know, I know, I know. And I just stood there for the longest time. She finally looked up and said, what do I do? And I just thought for a moment with the Holy Spirit, and he had only said one thing. And I said, he wants you to go and sin no more. And she said, I I get it. Uh, That I will do. I get it. One, One beach walk going up the coast, was I filled with the Holy Spirit? No. All of the Holy Spirit was in me. All the wisdom, all the love, all the grace was in me, but was I under the control of the Holy Spirit? No. I was going to let the Holy Spirit give me suggestions, and I would weigh them, and I would decide what I would do. I was going to let him be a consultant for me, but I would be the one who would decide going up the beach. But somewhere before I turned around, I said, I'm going to get this relationship right again, and, and you're not my consultant, you're my Lord. And so I don't know when the next time will come, but whenever it is, the answer is already yes. And going back down the beach, down the coast, uh, was I filled with the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Still the full Holy Spirit living in me, but this time, this time I was under his control. Being filled with his Spirit is a choice. Not only that, in Ephesians 5, 18, it says, be continually filled. Okay, when you look at the Greek, the literal is not just be filled, but be continually filled. And the way this looks, the way this gets played out is to begin one's day, or maybe as the day unfolds repeatedly, to begin one's day, if you're a follower of Jesus, and say, Holy Spirit, I I know you actually live in me. This is stunning. This proximity of, of like, there's not a part of me that you're not touching, and, and I yield to you. I, I am under your control. The answer is yes. Just the answer is yes. And then as the day unfolds, to, to go back and, and reaffirm that again and again and again. This is what Scripture is talking about in James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. It says, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Another translation says, if you want to know what God wants you to do, just ask him and he will gladly tell you. Isn't that great news? If you want to know, ask God, he will tell you. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. In other words, make up your mind already that that you will trust him. Like he is the only decider in it. You're not going to trust God and yourself or God and culture or God and some friend. You've already made up your mind. I'm asking you, God, and I'm going to trust you. Whatever you say, that's the final word. Whatever you say, the answer is yes. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty. In other words, okay, God, I'll take your opinion. I'll take mine. I'll take culture. A person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that's blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. We shouldn't even expect, although by his grace he might still give us wisdom, we shouldn't expect it. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they're unstable in everything that they do. God intends to be the Lord of your life, not a consultant in your life. The Lord intends to be God intends to be the Lord of your life, not a consultant in your life. His intent is that, is that we would rise and go through the day and, and just say, I'm under your control. The answer is already yes. A few weeks back, in fact, it was March 21st, Marie and I 
went to see our favorite band that we've enjoyed down through all of these years, a band called the Moody Blues. They were playing, this is actually, this is their, their 50th year anniversary tour. And they were playing in Nashville, but we thought if it's the 50th anniversary tour, this may be the last tour. And so for my birthday, Marie gave, me, gave us tickets to Nashville, and they were going to play the concert in this historic place at Ryman Auditorium that's had so much fame about it. it probably one of the rare times that the performers were almost as old as the auditorium itself was. But, so we're there with the Moody Blues concert, and, and it's a two-hour concert, and they play all the songs that we have loved most. And and after two encores and probably 10 ovations, they finally leave for good and the crowd's thinning out. And, and I have had the time of my life and I'm hoping, I'm hoping Marie has as well. And so I, I turned to her and say, what do you think? And she said, this was a great date. And then with her eyes filling with tears, she said, I feel like I did at the ring dance 40 years ago. The ring dance 40 years ago was when I was a senior at Texas A&M, and there was a senior ring dance, and it was in the event, in in the uh, ring dance itself, that I think for the first time, Marie and I both knew we wanted to spend our entire lives together, and the ring dance has always been the gold standard for a date. And so 40 years later, I'm standing by my bride, and with tears in her eyes, she's saying, this makes me feel like I did the night of the ring dance, and it melted my heart. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, you've been blessed by me with having Marie for 40 years. And I want you to love her with all that is within you. And then he brought Ephesians 5.25 to mind that says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And remember, Christ gave his life away for the church. He died for the church. And as I felt the Spirit say those things, I didn't have to ponder whether or not I would follow. I had already made that decision that morning. I had waken up that morning and said, you're in control. The answer is yes. Whatever you say, the answer is yes. And now five weeks have passed, and I think there's more fire within me to love her with all that's within than there was five weeks ago. But the way God intends us to to do this, he would intend us to do it, is is to say yes no matter what. And what I'm pondering is, what might keep us from saying yes, even before we know the direction, and what he might do, and how he might send us? What what would keep us from that? If, If this is truly within the life of a follower of Jesus, if this is truly the fullness of God, all wisdom, all knowledge, all power, all love, all grace, all goodness, all truth, all of that. But what do I have to offer that's better than that? What do you have to offer that's better than that? What would keep us from just beginning the day and affirming throughout the day, God, just saying, God, whatever, the answer is yes. The answer is going to be yes. Part of it, I think, is we just don't, we don't know how good God is. We just don't know for way too many of us, the, the information that God is perfectly good is far too often second-hand information or third-hand information. 
I've heard so much about how good he is. Others tell me he's been good in their lives. I read scripture. Third hand, I get it. He's good. He's good. He's good. I just haven't, I just haven't experienced it enough myself. I don't really know for myself. And the only way to know is to taste. The only way to know is to taste and take a step, take a step out into the ocean and find out. In fact, in Psalm 34, it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. A little over a year ago as a church, we were, we were looking at God's desire for us to pursue health. We spent a few weeks on that. And during that time, I had a number of friends that, that told me how, how good kale was in salads. And really healthy and all that. So I looked it up, and sure enough, it's really healthy. Then I got a picture of it, and I thought, wow, that, that looks like the weeds that grew up in my yard when I was a kid in South Texas. And we would dig those up and throw them in the trash. We never once thought about eating those. And so for the longest time, as much as I heard how good this was in salads, I thought, not me, man. If, if I die a week earlier because I didn't eat kale, I'm good with that. I don't think I'm going to try this stuff. And so I'm in Chick-fil-A one day, and I see there's this thing called superfood salad. I'll, I'll order that, and I order it. I didn't realize it was mostly kale. And I begin to eat this salad, and it, it actually tastes fantastic. I, but I tasted and I've seen for myself it's not second hand it's not third hand I've tasted and now I like to go places that have dollar menus and I like to shop off the dollar menu but I will go to Chick-fil-A and I'll spend 350 on this kale salad why because I know now I tasted I know I know this is what God wants us to do he wants us to to, to step out and and to taste and know that he's good but I have to say this Because you might think that goodness means that if you follow his leading, then you will be guaranteed health, wealth, and everything that is easy in life. And that's not what he's promising. He's promising a goodness of life that is so much bigger than that. Paul, the one that wrote half of the New Testament, half the books of the New Testament, would say this in Acts 20, verses 22 to 24. He would say, and now I'm bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. In other words, in that phrase, he's saying, hey, I woke up this morning, and I said to the Holy Spirit, the answer is yes, and the Holy Spirit has said to him, go to Jerusalem. So I'm bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. He said, this is where the Spirit's leading. And he's just told me. It's going to be suffering in jail. So three or four years pass, and Paul is in, he's in chains in Rome at this point. And in that three or four-year window, it actually was much worse than what he wrote about here. It had been three or four years of a different prison cells, of being a prisoner, it included a, a horrific shipwreck. It included being bitten by a poison snake and on and on and on. Three or four years of this have passed. It's been horrible suffering. And yet he's writing this letter to this church at Philippi. And we know it as, a, as the book of Philippians. And in 103 short verses, he mentions joy and rejoice 16 times. And if you read that letter in this context of joy... He doesn't spell out, but he doesn't spell out, this is how to have joy. But if you read the letter, you'll understand he's actually writing this textbook on joy. The guys, three or four years into a life that we would say, God has abandoned me. 
And in all likelihood, there was no one on the planet at that time with more joy than the Apostle Paul. What, what would keep you from, from just saying, yes, God, I don't even know what the direction will be, but the answer is yes. Next week, I'll teach on how the Holy Spirit guides, but the decision point is now. Before you know where he guides and what he says, the decision point is now. Will you put yourself under his control and say the answer is yes? I don't even know the direction, just the answer is yes. Will you, can you trust him? Will you be filled with the Spirit? Will you begin a life where the norm is waking up in the morning and saying, I recognize this is stunning, God, but the fullness of you, God, lives in me in this relational proximity, stunning. And, and because of who you are, I am under your control. The answer is yes. What would keep you from doing that? And I understand there are many in this room who, who yet don't yet have the Holy Spirit living in them because until right now, they haven't said, Jesus, I need your forgiveness, as all human beings do. I need it. Would you give me forgiveness? Would you lead my life? I want to surrender leadership to you. And if that's where you're at, then like, you're, you're one authentic step away from this new life and the Holy Spirit taking up residence in you as well. I, I started the series two weeks ago. I was talking about the Holy Spirit moving into our house. And I used the analogy of when Marie and I bought our first house many years ago and how it needed repairs, and I was incapable of repairs. So there was tension in our house because things remained unrepaired, and I have a wife that would like a repaired house, and I couldn't do it. And, and then I, I realized we, we had Marie's parents, her mom and dad, would come visit from time to time, and they would move into the house for three or four days. And Marie's dad was a phenomenal repair person, I told you. And the first two or three visits, in my pride, I didn't want him to repair things. This is my house. But about the third or fourth visit, I realized there's someone that's moved in that can fix the house. And I can't fix the house. And I began to make lists out for him when he would come. And he would joyfully, he would repair everything. And, and I, I finally began to take advantage of the one who'd moved into the house. And my challenge then, my challenge now is, will you take full advantage of living the life you can have with the one who's moved into your house? And to f- take full advantage is to say, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to be under the control of the Spirit. I want to begin a life where I'm continually saying to him, yes, yes. I don't even know I don't even know what you have to say yet for the day, but the answer is yes. I was at, uh, doing some worship with one of our ministries this week, Living Hope Ministry. And we were worshiping and doing a song called Oceans that we've done often in here. And as we were singing, I realized that the words expressed in that song are express the heart that I hope that every one of us would leave this service with. The expression of, of just saying, God, take me out into the deep where my feet can't touch the bottom. Take me out into the deep. And then there's this one place in the bridge. I'll read you one short part that says, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander and my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. Uh, last minute deal, Mark has agreed to come up and with acoustic just to lead us in that. And this is my hope is that you would stand with him and, and you would 
you would take these words in. And if they're yours, then sing them to God and say, this is my heart. This is my heart's cry. This is my heart's cry. Father in heaven, thank you for such possibility for us human beings as uh, limited as we are, as little as we understand, to, to uh, give us just enough understanding to know that we don't have to navigate life alone, but we can navigate it in a new relationship that begins by trusting Jesus to forgive and lead. And in that moment, then, God, the Holy Spirit, begins to live within us. And, and the potential of that could if we allow, if we surrender, if we put ourselves under the control, if we say yes, could change every aspect of our lives, our emotional world, our thought world, our our life of activity and actions could change everything. So, Father, as these words unfold, may they become our words and our heart cry. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.